Welcome to a special Letters to Women summer mini-series to celebrate the release of my brand new book, Sisterhood, Giving and Receiving the Gift of Friendship, published by Our Sunday Visitor. Inside the book, you're going to find a practical guide for discerning, developing, and keeping authentic friendships as a woman in today's world. So whether you're in a secure place with a woman in your life or you are not confident at all, every single one of us can grow in what it means to be a friend. In this book, you'll also discover stories along the way from women who share their personal experience with friendship with other women. These real talks are on everything from hospitality to friendship and seasons of transition, and they show the true diversity of what authentic sisterhood looks like practically. In this series on friendship, I'm sitting down with a woman and a friend who contributed a reflection on friendship to the book to get to know her better. And you're going to hear these women read their real talk witnesses out loud. It's like a miniature audiobook. And then we're fielding your questions on friendship that you've submitted via email or on Instagram. If you listen through to the end of today's episode, I'll share a little bit more details on upcoming friendship topics and how to submit your questions for a chance to win a signed copy of the Sisterhood book. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by the Little Catholic Box. The Little Catholic Box is a quarterly subscription box for Catholic women. And every quarter, they curate these gorgeous and functional Catholic items around a spiritual theme. It is so much fun to be a subscriber to the Little Catholic Box. I love getting this box in the mail and I I get so excited when I see it sitting next to my mailbox. But it's also a blessing to the artists and creators and small businesses whose items are featured in these boxes. Right now, the new subscription signups are currently closed but they do have a number of really fun individual items that are available and they're unlike anything you've seen. They collaborate with other Catholic businesses to create unique new products that are meant to celebrate our Catholic faith. So if you ever need a thoughtful and uncommon gift for a Catholic friend, a family member, or someone who you love, be sure to see what's available at thelittlecatholicbox.com. And don't forget to visit thelittlecatholicbox.com slash letters to check out this month's Letters to Women bonuses. Be sure to check out thelittlecatholicbox.com slash letters letters each month this year for a new bonus for Letters to Women listeners. Today, I'm sitting down with Lindsay Schlegel. She is a daughter of God who seeks to encourage, inspire, and lift others up to be all they were created to be. She's the author of Don't Forget to Say Thank You and Other Parenting Lessons That Brought Me Closer to God and the host of the podcast, Quote Me, with Lindsay Schlegel. She writes for Verily, CatholicMom.com, Radiant, and edits for various publications as well. She lives with her family in New Jersey, where she enjoys knitting, running, and reading to her kids. You'll recognize Lindsay's voice from a past episode of this podcast, a letter to the woman who keeps telling her kids to say thank you. And that was from all the way back in 2018. And I'll link that in the show notes for you so you can get to know Lindsay's story as a Catholic woman and hear her reflections on the feminine genius. When you open the new sisterhood book, you'll find Lindsay's reflection on friendships that remind you of Christ. And that kicks off the second chapter in sisterhood, which talks about Christ as the original giver of friendship. Lindsay, welcome to the special Letters to Women miniseries. It's so good to sit down with you. I'm so glad to have time with you again. I love how we've had different conversations over the past years via email and Instagram messages. and We've been on each other's podcasts and now you're back for another episode. So I'm so excited to host you again on the podcast. Someday in real life. Yes, that is the ultimate goal. We're going to kick off our time together hearing about how receiving the gift of friendship that reminded you of Christ during a season of loss. And I would love to hear you read that story that you share in the Sisterhood book. In January 2012, I went for a routine 12-week ultrasound to check on my second child. My husband had accompanied me to the first ultrasound with this child a few weeks earlier. Everything had looked perfect. I just started to wear maternity pants. And as the first trimester came to an end, it seemed my nausea was waning. My husband didn't come with me to this appointment because he was on a 13-hour flight home to Brooklyn from Hong Kong. I didn't mind, and I looked forward to having pictures of our littlest one to share with him when he came home. 
It was surreal to learn that our baby wasn't moving and his heart wasn't beating when I had the scan. I cried in the sense the tears fell from my eyes, but I wasn't sobbing. I was stunned. I had an odd sense of peace that ultimately things would be okay, but I was also aware that things were going to get harder before they got easier. I called my family as I walked back to our apartment. My parents drove in from New Jersey right away, largely because they knew I'd otherwise be alone with our toddler until my husband's flight landed. We didn't have smartphones then. Talking to him would have to wait until the taxi dropped him off at our door. In the days following, we realized we needed to tell the large group of friends with whom we'd shared news of the pregnancy that we'd lost our baby. Wanting to get it over with, in one fell swoop, I searched my sent folder for the mass email we'd sent a few weeks earlier, the one with a photo of our other son in a most awesome big brother t-shirt attached. I typed a short but direct note explaining what had happened, asked for prayers, and hit send. A few minutes later, a friend, but not a super close friend, called in response. She was heartbroken for us, but I spent most of the short call feeling like I was reassuring her that we would be fine rather than receiving comfort and compassion. I hung up the phone and decided I didn't need to answer if anyone else called, unless, of course, it was Sarah. As if she could read my mind from her home in Boston, Sarah called right on cue. I don't remember what she said, but I do remember the feeling that she knew exactly what I needed and she dropped whatever she'd been doing to be there for me. A week or so later, she took it to the next level. Sarah traveled from Boston to Brooklyn by bus to spend the time she could, 24 hours, with me. Later, she would tell me that she didn't know what to say, but she knew that she could give her time, so that's what she did. She was just there. She was where I needed her to be, and that made me feel like I was where I needed to be in my journey of grieving and healing. We talked, we watched my toddler play on the playground, and we didn't worry about anything else for a little while. Years later, I visited Sarah in her new home, Chicago. We spent a weekend together either at my home or hers once or twice a year, and basically talked the entire time we were together. Because we phoned and texted somewhat regularly in between visits, I knew it was a tough time for her. Her work situation wasn't great, and there were some other things weighing on her. We put that aside for the weekend to shop, watch movies, and eat homemade macaroni and cheese. We laughed and enjoyed each other's company for two and a half days and then prepared ourselves to return to what normal looked like for each of us. For me, this meant flying back to the East Coast, my husband and children, driving to school, tying karate belts for lessons. For Sarah, it meant continuing to navigate a normal she was trying to find her way out of. I didn't realize how hard a time it was for her until I was leaving and her hug turned to tears. This is a rare event. We often joke about her stereotypical Midwestern lack of outward emotion. I held on a little tighter and realized I'd unwittingly been for her what she'd been for me. I was showing up because I loved her and I wanted to be with her, but that visit meant something different and more profound for her. Since then, I've been more conscious of what a gift this particular friendship is, and I've made it more of an effort to give what I can to it, even as our lives travel different paths. I've learned that friendship as an adult is about seeing the other for who she is, especially when she can't do that for herself. It's about celebrating that in good times and affirming it in tough times. It's about listening without prescribing a resolution. It's about being there as fully as you can and humbly trusting that the gift of seeing and knowing is exactly what the other needs. What struck me when I read this the first time when you sent it via email, when we were putting the this book together, but then also as you're reading it here, is that I think so often when it comes to accompanying women in seasons that are hard, like grief or loss, there's this fear that can keep us back from giving that gift of self because I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. This is going to be so awkward. But I love how in both you receiving Sarah's friendship and Sarah receiving 
your friendship that you didn't let that stop you, that you just gave the gift of your presence. And that was really the gift that the other needed in those exact moments. As adults, we've traveled different paths personally and professionally. So when we do talk, which is still very often, there are a lot of times when we can't honestly say to the other, oh, I know I've been there. My life looks like that too right now. But we don't have to. Like Our friendship is not about us being the same person. It's about us being two different people, but seeing the beauty and the goodness in the other. Yes. Yes. And I love seeing that in this story. And your story kicks off a chapter on Christ as the original gift. When we grow into the image of God in our friendships, it's not as if the Lord wants us to mold all into one one single person. We don't lose our specificity when we become more like Christ. And that, you guys' friendship nails that as a perfect example of being who you are in your own season of life and being able to accompany someone whose life doesn't look like yours. And I think that's incredible. And it is still super important to have those friends that are traveling that same. You know, you're my mom friends in my town. Like we have different relationships, but they're really important to me too. It's just, it's different. And we also see the goodness and the beauty in each other and in our families. And, you know, we spend more time with each other's kids, that kind of stuff. I think it's important to remember that that is not the only kind of friendship that there is. Like people who have day-to-days that look like yours are not the only kinds of friendships that are important in your life. Amen. There's so much we can learn from people who are in different seasons or traveling different paths. I think that's so true and and not often talked about. I think there's usually an emphasis on find your people in the exact same season so you don't feel alone. And it's both and. It's both and. Absolutely. So listeners sent in some questions about seeing Christ and being Christ and friendship. And I would love to hear your thoughts on, on some of these. Yeah. Okay. So I'll just kick off. The first question says, I love this idea of Christ-centered friendship, but I think I need to grow in my friendship with God first. What does friendship with Christ mean? And what does that actually look like in real life? Um, I mean, I think the place that that starts and the place that it's grown the most for me is in making a holy hour. Um, An hour does not have to be 60 minutes. It could be. It could be a holy half hour. It could be a holy five minutes. I am very blessed in that my church does a holy hour every Thursday night. Uh, We pray for our country. It started, I guess it started during an election season. And then we're like, why stop? Our country needs lots of prayers. If your church or a church nearby has that time of Eucharistic adoration, that is a really beautiful way to do it, especially if you're not familiar with the holy hour. Like we have prayers at the beginning, we have we have a rosary at the end and benediction. So there's kind of some prayers there to help you figure out what to do in that time. But even if that's not an option, just being in the presence of the Eucharist, even when our Lord is still in the tabernacle, sitting and being with him. And sometimes stillness can be really hard if you're not used to it. I have this great book called A Hundred Holy Hours for Women. I highly recommend little reflections and meditations to take with you into adoration. But I think just sitting and being still, as, as a, a priest once described it to me in confession, he's like, well, what I do is I go and vomit everything at the feet of our Lord. <laughs> bringing everything there because he knows it already, right? But bringing it there and and being vulnerable and saying, I want you to know, I know you know these things about me, but I also want you to know them about me. Like, I want to know that you know, and just letting him love you because there's a lot of, I think for a lot of women, there's this idea that we have to earn it or we have to, we have to deserve love or we have to be in certain ways. I mean, the, from, from the, the first line of the litany of trust, right, is from the belief that I have to earn your love, deliver me, Jesus. And I think that's what a holy hour 
can do. It can help us realize that we don't have to earn our, the Lord's love. We can just sit and be with him and let him love us. And that changes us from the inside out. I think that ties in so beautifully to what we were talking about with the witness that you share in sisterhood is yeah. that is that that's what friendship is, is just sitting oh. and existing. And that's that's adoration. And it takes blown. Oh, it's a very holy thing. Yes. Yes. And I love too this idea that growing in that capacity with women in our lives in holy friendship is something that that's something you grow in. Just being able yeah. to exist in each other's company is something that you build up to. And so comfort and 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 yeah. being able to be truly present there in an adoration with the Lord, working up to that and giving yourself a lot of a lot of patience with yourself there. Like you said, I love that. It, it can be five minutes. That's a beautiful starting place. So yeah, I love seeing that parallel between that and what we were talking about earlier. Here's another question that came through. How can I help my kids make Christ-centered friends? She says, my, my kids are young. They're one, four, and seven, but I would really love to help them make and keep good friends. Do you have any advice? Yeah, I think, so my kids are, actually, I have kids all of those ages, but also two older. So I'm still figuring it out. My oldest is uh, edging in on 12. So we're definitely still learning. And I think a lot of it's about to change as we enter the middle school years. But I think for us, it's been being very conscious of the values that the other, I don't want this to sound judgy, but at the same time, I think being aware of the values of the people that my kids are spending time with is important at a very, it's totally important and needs to happen that my kids are exposed to people with different sets of values and different lives, et cetera. But when they are young and really being formed, I think the consistency kind of, like even where we chose our kids' karate studio, I asked like, well, what, what values are you going to teach my kids? Like, I see you have these values, these traditions on the wall. Like, are those going to conflict with the things that I'm telling them at home are important? So I think the same thing with friendships at a young age. Also, a lot of the play dates we have, probably in part because we do have five kids and it's not, and we live farther from school. We live about almost 20 minutes from our school. So it's not a... I'll just run around the corner to my friends that often. It's like family play dates. So it's all of our kids getting together, often with another larger family, four or five kids, and learning to play all together. I don't know. I've also noticed in my kids that some of them, one of my friends has had a, one of my, sorry, one of my boys has had a best friend since pre-K three orientation. They had the same color kind of sneakers on the playground, and they are still best friends going into fourth grade. And another one of my kids is really friendly with a lot of kids. Everyone likes him, enjoys being around him, right? He, like he's a, a well-liked and enjoyed kid. He doesn't have a best friend and that's okay. Like, I think we also have to let our, recognize that our kids are their own people and they're going to approach friendship in different ways too. So not forcing something on them. And then my last bit would be read good books as a family, like read alouds about good friendships. So you can use those as examples instead of just trying to give mini lessons on virtues or something. I think when we can do it through a story, the lesson comes through a lot more clearly. Maeve, who's three, is just starting to pick up on the fact that some books have chapters that you don't have to read the whole book in one sitting. It's just so fun. But we've been reading, we read, this is brand new within the past month. We read a book um, called Clementine, and it's about this little girl who has a friend and, and how that works. And it's been so fun. The, the kids in this in, as book characters are so much older than Maeve. But it's been so fun to hear her verbally process through through a chapter and talk about her friends, how she has friends, and she likes playing with her friends too. And those are conversations, like you said, they're based on a story and they're brought up for you by the story in a way that gives you a platform to talk off of or something to jump off of like a diving board. And sometimes those can make those conversations seem so much more natural. 
Right. Are we and frequently in our house? There's been a lot of I wants around here lately, and we are very familiar with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Audiobook is fantastic. So I can just say, don't be a Veruca, and they know what I'm talking about. Instead of me saying, stop saying I want, find another way, or like be grateful or something, I say, stop being a Veruca, and they know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's like the shared language that you get to have with your kids, which is so much fun. Yeah, it's so much fun. The next one is, do you have any advice for bringing Christ into conversations with my non-Christian friends? Yeah, I think you have to be very careful here because there's a desire. Um, I can I can sense in this question this desire to share the good things that the Lord has done for you and that the love that you know very well that the Lord has for Uh, for your friends and for every one of his children, but it has to come through relationship, not through a treatise or a dogma being spoken. And that's maybe that's obvious if perhaps this person already knows that and is trying to figure out, okay, but now what do I do? Like, it's easy to say what not to do. What do I do? I'm going to go back to holy hour. And I think the more time you spend with Christ, the closer you are to him. Also, the good books you're reading, if you're watching something, I think that kind of stuff comes up very naturally in conversation, right? Like you're often when I see a friend, especially a friend I haven't seen in a while, I'll ask them what they're reading because I want to know what, like, I think this is, I read a lot. I want to like find a new book or I want to know what you're interested in. And if you're reading story of a soul and someone says, hey, what are you reading? Tell them that's fine. You know, someone says, well, I've been watching this thing on, on, you know, whatever streaming thing, what are you been watching? And you say, well, I've been watching the chosen. What's the chosen, you know, there's your in to kind of share Like you want to come over and watch an episode with me without, I don't know, quoting encyclicals. I think there's a way when, when it is naturally a part of your life, it will naturally come up in conversation and you won't have to push it because it will just naturally be how your, your heart moves when you have a conversation with somebody. Yeah, I think it's so beautiful when you're rooted in that living a, a Christ-centered life is is very much part of your daily reality. And so conversations with people who don't have that, it flows naturally out of who you are. Like it's not forced. Inviting someone into your home that you actually, you know, it's never this clean and I never do these things. But when people are over, I pull out all the stops. But day to day, it looks like totally different. There's an unnaturalness in there. But when it's natural, it just there's it just flows so well. Yeah. And if your friend, if you can sense that your friend doesn't feel comfortable or you're going too far, you can, you can certainly say like, is like, do you want to talk about something? Is this, I don't know. I, I don't, I think you can also read the reaction in a friend and try to be mindful and, and compassionate without also feeling like you can't speak your mind or, or share what you know and believe, you know, but if maybe your friend's going through something right now where something you're saying is bringing something up, like there's, I think there's a lot of openings for conversation there and definitely asking the Holy Spirit. Um, to come and help you. I mean, he told us, Jesus told us, like, you don't have to have the words, the spirit's going to give them to you. So trust that. Yeah, I think that plays into so well a woman's gift or her feminine ability to live out sensitivity, to see, to read a room, to read a face, to see a reaction or a body language shift. Is there something here? Can we talk about that? Is that something you'd like to talk about? And then if the answer is no, just also being a place to just receive that just existence with her is good. Yeah. Okay, one last question for you, Lindsay, before I let you go. Uh, This gal says, I'm newly married, and I would love your tips for making and keeping Christ-centered friends as a married couple. She goes on, how do we figure out how to spend time with friends together, especially when some of my friends are more mine than my husband and I's friends together? How do we bring Christ into our friends through our vocation? That is a lot of great questions wrapped in one. (laughs) All packed. I actually um, have this question. have the questions in front of me right now too because I was like I'm gonna forget part of one and this is one I'm gonna have to go through a little at a time I think first making sure that you're spending time with friends together and that you are not and that you are still spending time with your friends apart is a healthy and good thing and encouraging your husband to spend time with his friends I think you both of those things are important 
when you are married, you are, you are the two have become one, and yet the, the the individuals remain individuals. I was just talking about this via um, a play written by John Paul II called The Jeweler's Shop um, in a class two weeks ago, and I have the book on my shelf, so I'm thinking about that right now. You, it, it's both. A marriage is both things. You're united, and you are also still individuals. So the way you spend time with friends should reflect that. There should be times that you are with other couples. There should be times that maybe you are just with a single friend and both of you together, or you are just with your friends. He is just with his friends. Like that variety, I think, is a healthy thing for everyone involved, for the other married couples you're with, for your marriage, for singles um, that you might be spending time with. I hope you're spending time with too. So not trying to narrow it down and thinking your friendships have to drastically change because you're married. For finding friends, I mean, if you're... If your church has a Knights of Columbus like I do, mine does that does a trivia night, I would highly recommend it. Um, if not, come on to mine. We're in New Jersey. It's a great time. But even to, I think it's just going up to couples or, or other. I mean, for us, it was where we had our first son just like just shy of our first anniversary. So we most of our married life has, you know, we kind of went into family with, with child life pretty quickly. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot of time that I can speak to where we were a married couple without kids. And the kids kind of helped us. We found a lot of our friends because they had friends of similar ages. Um, so maybe it was another family with uh, young kids at mass. We'd go talk to them, you know, walk, to, walk up to them after mass. Hey, how are you? It's nice to meet you. Like we're we were maybe new to this parish or we haven't seen you. Do you go to a different time or are you new here? And we are really big on brunch. Maybe it's the time we spent in New York. I don't know. Or maybe it's just the, the magical quality that is brunch. Um, but we're very intentional about leaving our Sundays open to keep them as times of rest. And it also means that we can have people over for brunch on Sundays a lot. You know, just after after mass, just come on over and we'll have maybe some muffins. Um, I get a quiche from our our local grocery store and heat that up. We make some coffee, maybe we pour some mimosas and just talk and get to know each other. I think if you can make time in your schedule that is consistent, that you have that openness, you have that that kind of time built in for friendship. I think that's one of the best things about keeping those Sundays open. We started doing this maybe uh, seven or eight years ago, really focusing on letting Sunday be a time where we didn't have other plans and we use it to spend time with our family and to spend time with friends and if we didn't do that, I don't think I don't think some of our friendships would be as strong as they are now because lives are so busy. And if we're not intentional about making time for friends, it would be very easy, especially now with five kids, to let that time slip away. Building it into your life just as you'd build in anything else. Um, and then how to bring Christ to your friends through your vocation. I think it's the same as the other question about bringing Christ into conversation with non-Christian friends. I think it's really living marriage well, understanding what it is, continuing to grow in your marriage, continuing to read some church teachings on marriage and what it means, and being friends with couples who are older and younger than you, and talking about marriage. Like not just letting it happen, but being a very active participant in your marriage and as it grows. I think people will recognize the joys and maybe recognize the hard times too. And I think that's a place to build community. I love that intentionality too, where you leave Sundays open. We do something similar, Joseph and I here. And sometimes it's spontaneous. Like we see, you know, we run into this couple all the time. I bet, I wonder if they have anything going afterward. Let's chat and see. Or sometimes it's a text ahead on a Friday night. Hey, do you guys have plans on a Sunday? When we're growing in something like a skill or any other relationship 
whether that was when we were dating our spouse, if you're in that season of life as a listener, or when you're getting to know your kids, like we don't just let that happen or we can't if we really want to grow in depth and in intimacy with somebody. And so being that intentional, I think in the beginning of our marriage, I had this, this idea that, oh, those friendships will just kind of happen spontaneously and we'll just see what happens. And, and it's right now, like we have a Google keep, a shared Google keep, Joseph and I, where we jot down, oh, we'd really like to have dinner with that couple. That would be really fun to get that. And that's, that seems so, (laughs) we could, we, and then when we sit down for the month, we plan it out and we invite those people. Yes. Yes. And you've got, and it, it, in June, I invited someone over for dinner in August and I think she thought I was a little bit crazy, but I think when she's here and she has a good time, she's going to think differently about it. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, I mean, and understanding too that it's like your life is busy and other people's lives are busy. Yes, exactly. And this is better than Netflixing. Oh my gosh, it's so true. This is better. This is better for our, as individuals and as for those who are married and have families and for for singles and for our whole culture. Like we need to rebuild friendship in a lot of ways. And I think that's what you're doing, Chloe. I'm yeah. so glad you're doing it. No, oh, back at you. I'm so, I love that your family mm-hmm. does this too. Yeah. Every, when we have people over, there's just this shared experience of, ah, that was so delightful. I, we yeah. needed that this Sunday. And then yeah. that having that being a shared experience for us as the host. And then also for those we invite and just, we need it. And it's so, it's not intentional as it should be for in, in today's society. And we're so lonely as a culture, um, right. Catholics included in that. And so just being able to open your house and, and be vulnerable and, and have, and have small talk that leads to deeper talk. I think it's the kind of thing that you think you don't have time for. And then when you do it, like you said, you're like, that was what I needed. Yeah. Like I didn't need another to go for another run or to clean my house more, or maybe I did, but I didn't. <laughs> um, but like, <laughs> yes and no. Um, it's the kind of thing that rejuvenates us in a way that I think a lot of us are really hungry for. Amen. Amen. Oh, that's so good. Lindsay, thanks so much for coming and sharing your story in the pages of sisterhood. And then for also for coming on the show. It's so fun to spend some time chatting with you about finding Christ, bringing Christ into our friendships with other women for listeners who are meeting you. Maybe this is the first time where they want to dive deeper into this topic with you or find out more about you. Where can they find you online and just continue the conversation? Sure. Yeah, no, this has been a complete joy. Um, it always is with you. Um, my, you can find me online. My website is lindsayschlegel.com. Um, there's links to my, uh, editing and writing, uh, for the websites I write for and, um, my book. And I think I have, there's a couple, I contributed to your book and I've contributed to a, a wine daily devotional for women. So I think there's a link for that there as well. Um, I'm also on Instagram as Lindsay Schlegs, um, which is probably the best place to find me. And next, tentatively next March, another book that I am working on, I'm the the co-author of a book called The Road to Hope, Responding to the Crisis of Addiction. Um, So that is due out with our Sunday visitor in March um, of 2023. So uh, you can sign up for my email list on my website. Uh, You can contact me there um, if you want to hear more about how that's coming along. Um, Hopefully we'll have a cover soon um, and get notified when you can pre-order it. That's so exciting. And then have you back on this podcast next year to chat about it so we can dive deep in. So, oh, that's so exciting. That's like the best part where you're like the cover and everything's coming together. That is such an exciting time of a book launch. Oh, congrats. That's awesome. That's so, so good. Well, thanks again for for coming on the show. And I'll put all of those links that you mentioned in the show notes. So if you're listening, you can just click there and, and get to know Lindsay a little bit better. Lindsay, thanks again so much. This was so fun. Thanks, Chloe. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Letters to Women. You can check out the show notes for my conversation with Lindsay on my website, letterstowomenpodcast.com, or just scroll down in your podcast player for links to follow Lindsay on social media to check out her website. And you can also tune in to our very first conversation together on the Letters to Women podcast back in 2018. You can find that in the show notes today too. You'll also find a link to the little Catholic box. Make sure to use that link as a Letters to Women listener so that you can get your bonuses. If the conversations that you hear on Letters to Women are something you'd recommend to a friend, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast. I love finding out how about how you discovered the podcast. I know a listener who just recently left a review on iTunes who shared that she discovered the podcast when she got a copy of Created for Love, which is my first book, A Journal for Engaged Women. And so it was so fun to see how she found the podcast and that connection point. It is just so, it is so much fun as a podcast creator to read those reviews. You can also, uh, if you know a woman who would love these conversations, especially today's conversation with Lindsay, click share on your podcast player and send it her way. Or maybe you could mention this podcast as one of your favorites in conversation with friends. Maybe that's one of the conversation starters that you use to talk with friends. Ask them what podcast they're listening to and share that you're listening to Letters to Women. You can hit subscribe where you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any future episodes. And these episodes in this summer series are where I get to hear from you when it comes to these conversations on friendship. So some of the topics that are coming up include conversations with guests on topics like digital friendship, friendships in seasons of transition, and friendships just in in hard seasons. So what kinds of questions would you like to hear us have a conversation on? Send your friendship questions to me via email at letterstowomen at gmail.com or or you can just shoot me a message on Instagram at letters to women underscore podcast. At the end of the summer series, I'll be drawing one name of the question submitted and sending a listener a signed copy of this new book, Sisterhood, Giving and Receiving the Gift of Friendship. Thank you so much for listening. That is all I have for today's episode, the second in this mini series on friendship. I'm so excited to keep diving into this topic with you. But until next time, be not afraid. Be not afraid.